Good morning. Happy Monday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Coming off a strong weekend, a little bit of housekeeping. IFSU members, we have a call at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today, so please join us for that. If you are not an IFSUniversity.com member, please go to IFSUniversity.com. Get yourself signed up. Join us at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. These are awesome calls. A lot of good stuff going on there. Okay, digging into today's Q&A. This is with Taya. Taya had what she thought was a very simple foundational question in regards to knee varus and valgus. Ugh, don't like to use those terms too much because they imply that the frontal plane exists and I think as we all know by now it does not. These are not these are not straight plane problems. These are orientations in rotation. And so we always remember that we're gonna end up starting with some form of rotation. It's typically gonna be femur turning inward relative to the tibia. That's how all of this is gonna get initiated and then it's just progress from there. So keep that in mind as you, you go through this uh, Q&A today. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about how this evolves and a little bit about solution and um, I think it's gonna be helpful for a lot of people because again, there's still a lot of confusion in regards to this knee presentation. So thank you, Taya. If you would like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Monday and I'll see you tomorrow. Taya. Hi, sir. You can call me Bill. Bill, <laughs> so formal. Well, with the uh, with the complexity of the questions piling up, I'm gonna take it back to simple. Um, I, like I want to ask um, about the uh, knee valgus and varus presentations. So the knee what? Valgus and varus. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh huh. Uh, I know, like I can picture and imagine what's going on in the knee. I was just, I just have hard time picturing the reasons they occur. Why do they occur? And how do they affect the foot mechanics? Lateral, medial, understand? Mm -hmm. Okay. Which one, what do I have to do to make a uh, valgus knee? Internally rotate the fibia, uh, t uh, femur and tibia into external rotation. There you go. Problem solved. Awesome. What do I have to do to make a varus knee? Just the opposite. No. Oh. Nice try, though. <laughs> I would have to internally rotate the tibia. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. You see it? Hang on. Let mm -hmm. me get real close. Varus. You see what it did? So valgus. Mm -hmm. Watch. Varus. You just magnified the internal rotation of the femur. No. What I did is I superimposed more external rotation on the entire leg. So let me back mm -hmm. up. Varus, or I'm sorry, valgus. Got it? Mm -hmm. Valgus. Varus. Okay. 
So would you say that the valgus would be something that happens before the varus position or? I would say that you have femoral internal rotation on the tibia prior to the superimposition of more external rotation that creates the varus representation. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> you, we've been talking about Let's go back to Grace's question. Okay. <clears throat> so remember how we were talking about if you put more, more pressure around the outside of the foot, you lose more relative motion. Do, do you remember that? Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. All right. So that's somebody. So, so when you get your center of gravity pushed way, way forward, you start to move your, 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 your uh, center of gravity moves up and forward. Okay. So that's moving like that up and out, okay? Valgus turns everything down and in, okay? You understand? Mm -hmm. So when you, get, when you get the really extreme valgus knee people, you ever notice that their arches are really low? Yeah. And then you get the really extreme varus people and their arches are really high? Okay, mm -hmm. so... So Ivan is just tickled to death by that. So if I, if I push the center of gravity forward and it goes down and in, I'm going to get a varus, or I'm sorry, I'm going to get a valgus representation at the knee most often. Okay. If I keep pushing that forward, they have to start to ER again, right. To move their axial skeleton between their, their, their feet. And it turns it back outward. So that's the difference. So the, the representation at the knee is the same. What happens is you get more ER on a varus looking knee than you do on the valgus looking knee. There's just more external rotation. So would you say that someone with the varus presentation of the knee is pushed more forward than the one with the valgus? Who's the smartest girl in the room? <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, that's okay. exactly what I would say. Okay. But, but it also tells you what you need to do from a sequencing standpoint, right? So if I have mm -hmm. somebody that's pushed farther forward and they have more external rotations superimposed, I have to reduce that first. Then I can worry about the knee. If you go chasing the knee too soon, you might make symptomatic changes you might get lucky, but the reality is, is that more often than not, I have to reduce that, that extra little bit of external rotation that got superimposed first. Okay. Then I can go after the knee because I know what the knee orientation is probably going to be because there's only a few options available to me. The mistake, the mistake that gets identified, mm -hmm. um, especially in um, is, is Clancy still on? Did Colin leave? Old people, older than me is old. Okay, fair enough. An older person that comes in with like a, like maybe he was a cowboy, maybe he was a Harley rider from the 60s um, that, with a really strong varus representation of their legs. You know, they put their feet together and you can, you can throw a basketball through their knees, you know? 
um, you get, you see that kind of representation and people say, oh, the tibia turned inward. It's like, it's not turned inward. It's just the weight on the inside of the knee gets heavier and heavier and heavier. Like the bigger, the, the ER orientation, the more weight I have to have downward. And the only place I can do it is down through the knee. And so it bends the tibial plateau sideways because of the weight bearing. So the tibial plateau tries to stay flat relative to the, to the femur. But if I twist the legs out, I have to create the bowed structure of the leg. And now the weight bearings on the inside of the knee, not the outside of the knee. And so it bends and it looks like it's twisted inward. It's not twisted inward, it's just bent. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Do you understand the sequence of events to create the two representations? Yeah. Okay. I, I was do, just do, you understand? okay. do you understand that there's no valgus or varus? Yeah, I understand. I just didn't know how to differently describe it, the right. presentations. It's, it's a series of turns, right? Mm -hmm. Varus and valgus are described as imaginary frontal plane representations because people, look, people take a picture and they slap it on a page that's two-dimensional and they go, look, it goes in. It's like, no, it twists in and it twists out. And if you can see the twist, then you can actually help somebody. If you try to mess around with some imaginary plane that doesn't exist, it doesn't work. Good morning, happy Tuesday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. A very busy Tuesday coming up. We're going to dig straight into today's Q&A. Uh, this is with Grace. And Grace has a question that turns out to be a center of gravity, base of support uh, type of question. Each one of the compensatory strategies that we talk about influences where someone will be relative to, to their base of support. So inside of your base of support is your center of gravity. And that's going to determine how much relative motion you have. So as people move towards the periphery, of their base of support, this is where we're gonna to start to see the reductions in ranges of motion. And so there will be a direction in which they will move predominantly, and then this is how we strategize our interventions to determine, well, we have to change actually the shape of the base of support so we can expand that, improve relative motions. So some people need to turn left, some people need to turn right, some people move forward, backward, whichever it may be. But, but point being is not everybody is the same. And so we actually take Grace through a little, little experiment to show her how this influences the ability to, to sense um, the superficial strategies that we talk about in regards to how we're moving through the base of support. So this will be a very useful uh, representation for a lot of people who think that, that everybody's the same or they have a singular lens that they look through, which is which is often a, a, a significant limitation or ability to intervene with people. So again, thank you, Grace. If you'd like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. And we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Uh, don't forget, go to the YouTube channel, my YouTube channel to be specific, and get yourself subscribed so you don't miss any of the videos. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I will see you tomorrow. Very Christmassy, Grace. It looks like you're doing like a, a Christmas special We have a giant Christmas tree up our wall. Holy cow! Yeah. It's cool. Wow, that's, that's, that's spirit right there, man. I moved from a throne to a Christmas tree. There you go. All right. What's up? Um, 
I was doing some housekeeping in my mind and I realized that I have some conflicting, not conflicting points of view, but points of view that are not necessarily um, married and coherent. So I was thinking about uh, the pathways that narrows and wides have to their end game position. Yep. And I realized that I am getting caught up in that frame of reference. But when I'm like looking at people doing some movement assessments, I'm actively just looking for the places where they have more relative expansion on one side or the other. I'm looking for the turns based on what I'm seeing in their movement. And then when I go to think about where they're at in terms of that progression, it just like freezes my brain and I don't know how to go forward. So it feels like there's a disconnect in my understanding based on that representation of their pathways of progression in the sequence of compensation, compression, um, with the way I'm actually making decisions based on what I'm seeing and, um, yeah. So what's your question? My question is, how do I align those two? Because I, I think basically from what I understand about that sequence in my mind, it seems yeah. like then I can have no one that I'm turning back to the right, like that I'm pushing to the right. Well, see, but that so that would be that would be um, that that would be mostly incorrect, right? So, right. so what what all you're talking about is turns. Yes. You understand that? Yes. Okay. And then, so if somebody is, is oriented, let's just use the right side. So they're on the, if we're looking at the right side and, if, and they're using orientation on the right side to create the external rotation, that would be a right posterior lower compression. So again, this is like, we're, we're making good references here to all the other all the other questions, right? So this was the exact question with his weightlifter. So his weightlifter is actually compressed in posterior lower on the right side. That would require a compensatory ER, okay? On that right side, which means that you have the posterior lower compression there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if I if I tried to turn that person to the left, okay? They can face that direction very easily. But if I understand the, the, the premise correctly in regards to how someone would behave is they would have gone like this first and then forward, right? So I'm gonna turn like that and then I go forward. And it's like, oh, so that was two moves in one. Now, granted, it was on that angle, right? You understand it's on a resultant. Yeah. but it's got two pieces to it. And so under those circumstances, maybe depending on how far forward their center of gravity is, maybe you can make a, you can just turn it into a left-hand turn and be successful. Okay. But if they're the, the, the more forward that they have been pushed, their, their center of gravity goes forward. I might need to pull them back on that right side first, then make the left-hand turn because they need they otherwise they're just as, as we would say turning like a refrigerator right which is again i can face that way but that wouldn't be the the turn with relative motion yeah so so what you may need then is a better recognition of those who are using the compensatory strategy on the right side and of then the that would, 
that is the resultant of the posterior lower compression they're orienting into ER. Yes. What does have. that look like? Like in terms of what I would see? Oh, stand up. Okay. Okay. So, um, okay. So what I want you to do, all we're gonna do is we're just gonna shift your center of gravity, okay? Okay. So, so what I want you to do is um, take a little bit of weight off of your, your left foot, keep, keep your left foot grounded. So the, so you're in medial foot contact on the left side. Okay. Yeah. Now from there, what I want you to do is take your right back pocket mm -hmm. and shove it forward. So you start to feel the weight go onto the, 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 no, 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 no. I didn't say turn to the left. I just said, go forward. See, so you're going to have to push both hips into an ER orientation at the same time. Now your weight is on your first met head on the right side. Am I correct? Yeah. There yeah. you go. So, so what you had to do there is you are now starting to orient more into ER on the right side. Okay. Okay. So yeah. if we, if we just pivot you and turn you to the left under this circumstance, you're going to pivot on the first met head. Yes. Okay. So that is an orientation to the left. Okay. Okay. Now go back to where we started there. And, nope. Uh, uh, in the end position there. So, so go to the right and then go forward. There you go. So, so both posterior lowers should be compressed right now. Do you feel that? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Now what I want you to do is I want you to go from your first met head on the right foot to the inside edge of the heel on the right foot. There's yeah. back then make your turn in the other direction. So you hit the heel on the other side. That's what you got to do under those circumstances. Okay. Do you see it? Yes. So, so that's what, that's your question is like, everybody seems like you got to turn them left. Yes. Under many circumstances you do, but how far forward is the center of gravity is going to determine where you have to move them into the space because all the space where relative motion lives between your feet yes so the farther i go to the edges of my feet in any direction in any direction if i'm on my toes if i'm on my pinky toes if i'm on the that lateral aspect of my heel that's on the outside that's on the periphery right the closer you get to the outside of your base to support the less relative motion you have okay you do you, you felt it correct yes definitely uh, Awesome. Does that clarify your thought process? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. A busy Wednesday uh, coming up. But first, uh, today's Wednesday, tomorrow's Thursday, 6 a.m., tomorrow morning, coffee and coaches conference call. As usual, bring your coffee, bring your questions, a great group of people. Um, if you've missed out on these, you're missing out on a great time and great information. So please join us at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, the link will be on my professional Facebook page. Going into today's Q&A, this is with Clancy, a.k.a. Colin. Um, Colin had a, a series of questions, and this is just one segment. It's actually a relatively short segment, but it covers a lot of ground. So, a couple of principles. 
we move by a shape change. Um, that shape change allows us to access spaces around us. That's how we move. If we only had a proxy measure that would tell us how we can access that space, and we do, and it's right there at the bottom of the rib cage, we finally call that the infrasternal angle, ISA, if you will. This allows us to identify some structural biases that predispose people to being able to access certain spaces, our ability to move that ISA, the AKA, dynamic ISA then represents an, an early goal to allow us to access more spaces. And that's what this discussion is about. So those of you that are still confused about infrasternal angles and its use, this will hopefully clarify some element of that. So thank you, Colin. If you would like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow, 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Have an outstanding day. I was um, driving to work yesterday and listening to the podcast recap from the preceding week. And there was a statement you made, which was also relevant to some questions I was starting to ask at the intensive about how do we identify, like, so like if I can look at someone and I can watch them move, and I can look at their chessboard, I should be able to determine what's your non-compensatory space that you have to move into so that if my goal was to recapture someone's relative motions and to kind of be like a, like a drug dealer of expansion, right? I can better target like what activities are going to have higher success rates for someone actually like getting the result that I want. So I was trying to think about that. I was like with like different presentations, like where, where are these people's actual um, spaces to move into. And I, I go back to that drawing that you did on the whiteboard um, several times of someone's like yep. their angles, right? Yeah. And yeah, how totally. if on the top is, I drew a pretty wide narrow. <laughs> so right. ignore that. Uh, but, but the wide is wider, right? How huh? like, over there, that's the room to move into, right? So uh -huh. the more AP compressed someone gets, obviously, like the flatter their helical angle becomes. Okay. And that's how you have less space. Okay. Right. So here's what you gotta do. Hang on. Hang on, boss. Yeah. Hang on, boss. So you're you're on the right track. You're on the right track. Okay. All right. Take that representation. Okay. So you're looking at somebody from the front in your drawings. Yeah. Okay. Take that, grab a hold of that that thorax that you drew. And then tilt it so you're going to be looking down on it. So it kind of looks like this. <laughs> Hang on. Uh, maybe that's a that's a cross-sectional view of a thorax. Okay. Yeah. It also looks right. like so. Take yeah. So hang on. So 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 take the understand that that you do understand that the the that's a two-dimensional representation of a four-dimensional situation. That's probably where the disconnect is coming from. Okay. It's not a line. Okay. Yeah. It's not a line. Okay. It, it creates a space in four dimensions. All right. So you have to look at, at this from a shape standpoint. So what shape are you really looking at when you see the, the little crisscross helical angles? You're really looking at a sphere. 
you're looking at a sphere. And so you have to, you have to turn, you have to turn the thorax so you can see the helices going through the thorax in the other representation. And now you start to see where all that space really is. So um, it's not a snow angel. Okay. You drew a snow angel right. in that first representation, right? Mm, with the, yeah. with the, the helical angle, right? Okay. But if you were in a pool, okay, and I'm looking down on you in the pool and you were going like this, right? Your that's snow angel space. is now, huh? Yeah. That's the space because that's 4D. Yeah. Well, but yeah. see, but you got to combine the two. So it goes like this, right? You see it? You see where the space really is? Can you do that again? That was really, that was really special. All right. Okay. Yeah. Get it? Do you see, do you see how it's 4D? I do. Yeah. Because okay. it's so all three so axes in the time. You could technically draw multiple representations like different angles and then throw the helices on top of it. And then that allows you to identify the spaces within which you have available to you without without the capacity to move those helical angles. See, the goal is to be able to move the helical angles to allow more movements to be available. Yes. So you're drawing a fixed representation of starting conditions. Mm. Do you understand that? Yes. That's why when we talk about um, ISAs and such, you know, and, and like, I don't give a rat's patootie about what that angle is. What I care about is whether it is capable of moving because that's what represents my ability to reorient those little lines that you drew on your paper so I can access different spaces. Right. And then the more capability someone has to be able to alter like the behavior of their ISA, which is why it's a behavior and not just like a measurement indicates their ability to create and move into more spaces. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have NeuroCopy in hand and it is perfect. Is one of the ways that you can tell that they're getting full relative motion just like how easy it is? Um, is, that, is that one of the ways that you might be able to tell other than just looking at like, is the tibia um, you know, relatively behind, um, like toes grabbing, you know, you can see that right away. Um, but would one of the ways you could tell be that somebody's just having a really easy time of it, or is that not so good of a uh, of a tell? Yeah, you ever do a split squat with a with 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 a uh, two hundred twenty five pound barbell on your shoulders? Nope. Okay, try that, okay. and then do a body weight split squat. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing that you wouldn't be able to access early, right? You would be like, okay. So, so always remember that as I increase the magnitude of the, of the lift, right? So I'm adding weight to the lift. As I add more and more weight, I am taking away space for me to move into, right? Okay. So what you're recognizing, what you're recognizing is the as you access more relative motion, it there is less effort required, right? Um, because the amount of muscle that you have to invest in that activity has to be less to access relative motion. So you remember, higher force production takes relative motions away. Right. Okay. So 
if I increase complexity, if, I, if I'm unfamiliar with an activity, if I add load to an activity, all of those are influences that reduce, if we use, if we use like an old biomechanical term, it reduces the degrees of freedom. So you have less access to relative motion under all of those circumstances, okay? Right. As you gain access to relative motion, so you think about that. So I have to be able to concentrically and eccentrically orient muscles in a coordinative manner, right? And eccentrically oriented muscle doesn't have tension on it. Right. So it feels effortless. So my range of motion, my, my excursion of range of motion improves. And so that's what you're recognizing. So you're, abs you're absolutely right. That is like one of those things that you would start to recognize, okay? Right. But it's also helpful for you to understand how hard an exercise is for your client. Right. So you, so you, 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 you sort of threw yourself on your swords. Yeah, yeah, I've been screwing up my clients. Not necessarily, not necessarily, because you don't have their perception of how hard the activity is to begin with. True. Okay. My, my mom has a lot of trouble with split squats. Just dealing with gravity. She's 88. Yeah, it's tough. Let's, let's be honest. Okay. Um, she's more of a box squatter than a split squatter. But point being, point being is for her, her, her body mass is a significant challenge. Therefore, she would use less relative motion in that activity. I would expect it to be less. And I would expect it, her perception of the activity to be more difficult. Right? As she would become more skilled, as her force production would increase, the relative magnitude of that exercise is reduced. She should be able to access more relative motion. Now you know why you train athletes. I want, ultimately, right? I want them to have more relative motion at higher percentages of effort so they can distribute forces and loads as they need to until they need peak forces, which I know right away they're gonna lock everything together as they should, right? But I don't want them to walk around you know, just walking around should not be, you know, a sufficient stimulus to restrict relative motions. Right. right. But your recognition is on point. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it, it, so if if you uh, let's just say that your 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 PR back squat is is a hundred kilograms for those of you on the metric system because I'm an American and we don't use the metric system, but we're going to talk in kilograms. Okay, so you do a 100 kilogram squat and you train and you train and you train and two years later, you do a 200 kilogram squat and you put the 100 kilograms back on. Do you think you have more relative motion with the 100 kilograms than you used to? Uh, it's easier, right? Yeah, okay. Because I it's 50% it's, it's of your 1RM now instead of your 1RM. So if we were to do the split squat that you were talking about, you would feel... You, you would feel a lot of relative motion after doing the barbell variation um, just because it's just so easy. Yes. Got it. Yes. Got it. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so like I said, I, I, your, your thought process is totally correct. Okay. Uh, so. But don't think that you're screwing people up. They're just giving you, they're just giving you information as to how hard an activity is, which helps right. you make decisions in the gym. Right. So, so I guess, I mean, maybe this is, 
maybe there's there's a lot to this question. I'm hoping this is a simple question, but so if if somebody's in the in the top of a split squat, um, there's there's going to be some obvious tells that it's it's they're working too hard. Like it, they might not be able to breathe. But yep, um, and you'll see like things squeezing, you know, in their legs like crazy. Um, how might you? How might you, if, if that's their orientation towards it, um, and they're they're trying to really work hard in that top position, how might you test to see maybe this is just the fact that they're trying to work too hard um, by cueing them in a certain way or by, you know, like, you just say, hey, relax. Do you say, I mean, do you, do you, do you want them, Thomas, do you think that's funny? That was good. Yeah. We don't want them to relax. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't that's not a cue that I would use necessarily under duress, you know, um, the, the fluidity that you're looking for, right. It, again, it may just be the fact that, um, they're not sure what to do yet. Yeah. Like they're learning how to perform the activity in question. And so then that just might be a cue from you as to, Hey, um, feel your foot this way. Hey, make sure that your knee is guiding in this direction and so on and so forth. And then maybe loading it in, a, in such a way to produce the output. Got it. So they can, you, you have to give people credit for learning because like I said, when, when you first learn anything, especially something this complex, it, a split squat is pretty complex for most people, right? I mean, it really is. You're, you're taking a base of support and changing its shape, and they are unfamiliar with how to control that, right? Um, you, are, you, you will always see a reduction in relative motions under those circumstances when they are first exposed to it because they got to figure out how to, how to do it. They know what it looks like. They know what shape they're supposed to be in. They just don't know how to get there and control it at the same time. So they always over-recruit, right? Muscle mm -hmm. to stop motion from occurring. That's going to be the bias, and then as they get used to it. But again, it's it, it, it's great for you. From from there's there's two ratings that you always use as a coach. How hard do they think it is, and then what does it look like to you? And so you're always grading rating of technique. Their technique is going to point you in a direction as to how to manipulate that activity to arrive at the at the outcome that you desired. So you'd put somebody in a regular old split squat. And it's really, really challenging. You hear the breath hold, you hear the, you know, the, the guttural sound as they're moving through it. And it's just like a body weight split squat. And it's like, okay, um, let's elevate your front foot. Okay, so now I just took some load away from them. I moved them back towards an earlier representation. And now that doesn't happen. Right. See, I just, I just reduced, I reduced the magnitude of the, of the load on the, on the activity to make it a little bit easier for them to manage. Right. Or maybe, maybe I put them, you know, uh, I, I adjust their stance a little bit, or maybe I put an offset load on them, right? right. Again, it's like whatever, whatever influence you're trying to promote. Right. Okay. Cool. But I think you understand. Okay. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have no coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, man, looking forward to the weekend. Um, it's one of those weekends where I think the most important thing is that I got to go see Spider-Man.
um, this weekend, so I'm kind of excited about that. Yes, um, my, my, my heart lies with the bat, but, uh, but Spider-Man is a really, really close second. So again, very excited, heard good things about, about the new Spider-Man movie. Um, digging into today's Q&A, uh, this is from Ivan. We were on the, the coffee call uh, yesterday morning, uh, coffee and coaches call 6 a.m. every Thursday. Join us. Um, and, and Ivan stepped in and, and he asked a clarification question. So you, you will hear me say, say terms like concentric orientation, eccentric orientation to describe what muscles are doing because I think it's just a better representation of it versus um, calling something a contraction because contraction has a very specific meaning and I don't think that's what's going on. But it's also giving us an opportunity to understand the difference between a, a muscle that is producing a high pressure, lower volume representation and a higher volume, lower pressure representation. And there's a difference in the amount of tension that is produced under those circumstances where an eccentrically oriented muscle really doesn't produce any tension. And so this is the explanation as to why um, I think that, and then a description as to maybe allowing you to understand it a little bit more more easily. Um, so thank you, Ivan. I think this is probably going to help a lot of people. Um, if you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so don't delete it. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everyone have an outstanding uh, weekend. Go see Spider-Man. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel so you get all the videos um, that are produced so far, and we will see you next week. Oh, uh, the uh, podcast is up on Sunday, and then I will see you next week. Ivan. Hello, Bill. Greetings. Hope you're doing well. I am outstanding. That is amazing. So first, I just want to get back to, you, you just said that an eccentrically oriented muscle doesn't have tension. Could That's you elaborate correct. on that? Eccentric orientation does not have tension. <laughs> okay. So, let, well, let's talk about this. Okay. Um, what is the difference? So, so we're gonna we're gonna take Andrew's uh, uh, hundred kilogram squat. Okay. I'm talking metric system like crazy today, aren't I? I I must be a really smart American. Very good. So we're gonna take Andrew's hundred kilogram squat. What was the question? Uh, why does oh, the eccentric orientation? I guess yes. I'm on. Okay, <laughs> so you got 100 kilograms on your back. Okay, you're gonna lower it down into a, a squat, and you're gonna stand up with it. Okay, so on the way down versus on the way up, which one recruits more motor units? When you're going up. Okay, so so. So if I am concentrically orienting, I increase the number of motor units to go up and fewer to go down, correct? Yes. What are the ones that are not on? What are they doing as I'm going down? Well, if they're not on, they're not doing anything. Correct. Okay. Okay, hang on. Yeah. <clears throat> if I'm not falling, Okay, if I'm not falling, am I still pushing against the weight? Yes. Okay, so that means that there are some motor units that are concentrically oriented, trying to lift the weight, 
but there's not enough of them to hold it up. So it keeps going down. So I turn off just enough so that I can sit down into the squat, right? Yeah. Rest of them are still pushing, <clears throat> but they're not strong enough. Okay. So we're going to go out to the parking lot. Okay. And, and we're going to get 10 guys and we're going to lift up my Jeep. Okay. So 10 guys pick my Jeep up. <clears throat> Got it? Yeah. All right. Four guys step away from the car. Six guys are now trying to hold the Jeep up, but they're failing. They're still pushing up. They're still pushing up, but the Jeep is slowly going down towards the ground. The four guys jump back in. Everybody lifts the car up. Four more guys jump out. Still six guys trying to hold the car up, failing miserably, but it's going down slowly because they're still pushing up. You get it? Yeah. So that's what lifting weights is, is I have to increase the number of motor units to lift a weight because <clears> I got to go in that direction against gravity and move away from the ground. As I lower, as I lower a weight, so this is actively controlling the, the, the velocity of the weight, I need just enough motor units to allow me to move in the other direction, downward, okay? But the other one's got to stop because if I, if I, if I maximize the number of motor units, I can stop that weight from moving. I wouldn't move. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is the fault with the terminology. <clears throat> okay. This is why, do you understand now why I say concentric orientation, eccentric orientation? Because eccentric means away from midline. That's the definition. It means away from midline, okay? Contraction means to make smaller. Eccentric yeah. contraction doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But if you tell me that a muscle is positioned eccentrically, I know what it's doing. If you tell me that a muscle is positioned concentrically, I know what it's doing. Do you see the difference? Yeah, it's more specific to what's happening. Thank you. It just okay. doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It, it, you, know, um, it, it, you know what an oxymoron is? Yeah, I yeah. think. <laughs> so it's like, it's like uh, jumbo shrimp. Doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Jumbo, big, shrimp, small, right? Yeah. yeah. Aqueous humor, it means wet, dry. Doesn't make sense. Okay. Little things like that go a long way, right? And so all okay. you have to do is, you, you, but, but, it, but it does take some understanding of the physiology as to why that doesn't make sense, right? So now think about this. Why do you get sore? Why do you get sore after oh, eccentric training? More damage. Yeah. So, so it's like, okay, the six guys, the six guys that were trying to hold my Jeep up, are getting crushed okay. they're trying to lift but they're going to explode at the bottom because the weight's just going to crush them right the other four guys who cares they're okay. fine they're fine nothing wrong there you're asking fewer motor units to do the same amount of work that that it took concentrically and so what's going to happen to them they're going to get busted up and that's what happens 
that makes that's sense. Why you, yeah. That's why you see the that's why you see the destruction of this. That's why you see the cellular destruction that's associated with that type of training. It's useful. It's useful because you can train. You can train to increase the recruitment of the number of motor units in a certain phase of the lift, which is useful, like weight releasers and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Awesome. Okay.